Yeah, it's crazy to me all the the fun stuff that the retro gaming community has come up with in recent times. Uh, you know, all those classic systems, people are still designing games for those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's I guess it's like they say necessity is the mother of invention. You know, you come up with clever things to do when you're limited, so... Welcome to List Envy, the podcast where each week I work with a guest to build a top five list on a topic they choose. This week's guest is video game blogger and actual space scientist, Nicholas Bond. Nick runs the Retro Game Deconstruction Zone, where he dives deep into old video games uh, and video game tech to figure out how it all works. Uh, Now, today we are talking about the golden age of arcade games, which runs from about 1979 till 83-ish. I think Space Invaders, Pac-Man, earlier Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong, all that kind of stuff. We'll cover the whole game uh, gamut, as as you might imagine. Um, But I started asking Nick what he considered his personal video game heyday. Well, my personal golden age was actually... A good bit later, <laughs> when the, when the uh, the proper golden age, as as they uh, as the video game historians label it, r- ran something like from the beginning of Space Invaders, which was 1978, up till somewhere around 83 or 84, around the time of the video game crash. Um, by the time that ended, I was only uh, four years old, so uh, <laughs> that was a little early for me to have my golden age. Uh, I played some of those games in the arcades after the fact, but um, I wasn't around for the heyday. My uh, golden age was probably the Nintendo Entertainment System era, Super Nintendo to some extent, you know, when I was a grade schooler and also a a teenager, you know, that's that's when you play the most video games, uh, usually. And... uh, yeah, and I didn't, to be honest, I did not play that many arcade games when I was a kid, um, partly because my parents uh, wouldn't let me go <laughs> most of the time. You know, it would be like for birthday parties every now and then. But they didn't want me spending a lot of time at the arcades because they had this reputation for being for like kind of seedy, you know, drug dealing going on and all that stuff. I, I don't know how true that was, but that's that was their belief. So I, I didn't get to go most of the time. Um, it was only in the age of emulation that I really began to uh, get a chance to experience these games in their original forms. You know, many of them were ported to Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and other systems. Uh, and now, nowadays, the uh, the modern systems, you know, port them all in their like original versions. So we get, we all get, uh, you know, we get access to these after the fact. Um, but uh, so, so the reason I, I chose this original golden age is because this is really where games grew up, you know, and there's a reason that historians call it the golden age is because, you know, the sort of really com- the beginnings of really complex games that can actually fascinate you, that you can study something more complex than like Pong or Breakout, um, that really began in the late 70s and early 80s. And it was really a beautiful time. Uh, for video games, I think. If you could have a real arcade cabinet at home and not like a, a main cabinet or something like that, um, what would you have? Oh, you mean like just one uh, one game? Yeah. 
Uh, oh, like an, orig- an original, an original machine. That's a tough one. Yeah, I, I've I've thought about setting up one of those like multi-game uh, cabinets, and we, we've been looking into constructing one of those at home. But geez, I it, it, this is just as hard as it was picking my list. <laughs> I, I, you know, I might have to go with like Pac-Man just because. You know, in addition to me loving the game, uh, it's the kind of thing that has a broad appeal. Just about anybody can go in there and and play Pac-Man. You know, it's like it's it's easy to understand, widely recognized. But I don't know. I it's it's something I'll probably give you another another answer in a month, and then the next month I'll give you another one. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, is pinball an arcade game? I I would say not. Uh, I mean. Pinball is 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 its own thing. It's you know, it, there's nothing wrong with it as it is. <laughs> it's perfectly perfectly acceptable game. Uh, yeah, it's fine, uh, yeah. but it's got its own history and tradition that is mostly independent of video games. There was this period very early on in video game history, around the same time as the golden age on computers, when they were doing a lot of pinball simulations, and those were some of the most popular uh, computer games in the early '80s. Uh, for Apple II's in particular. And that's, you know, that's fine. But it's kind of like when, you know, when Hollywood does a musical, it's like they're mostly doing a musical and not a movie, you know. It's fine. It's just that I, I tended, for for the stuff that I study and the stuff that I'm really interested in, I'm more interested in the stuff that is video games as video games. Um and how that medium really came into its own and created its own unique things. Uh, but yeah, pinball pinball's a fun game. You might find it at an arcade, but it is not necessarily an arcade game. Um, yeah, that's fine. I, th- I, 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 f- I fall in the, in the same kind of category. And also, I share uh, a similar history to you, I think, in that uh, I can remember once or twice being given a little bit of money uh you know a few a few coins to go and and spend a bit of time um uh, in an arcade and it was always on holiday and it was always when there was just nothing else to do it was we were waiting for a car or or, or some sort of transport or something you know we were in some kind of way station um it was never like usable time that could be spent uh in an arcade um i love the american um unit of money um of of the quarter uh as you know like as a, as a sort of um as a a unit of fun <laughs> if you like um what is the state of it now like is is it is it just a cuz you don't have dollar coins what mm. how are, how are these machines fueled now is it just like lots of quarters to play one game well fortunately for the golden age games so a lot of arcades nowadays are classic arcades. So they're playing actually a lot of the same games that were around back in the 80s and 90s. And because the um, the commercial expectations for profit from something like that is pretty low now, it actually works out that even with inflation, uh, charging a quarter for these things is, is pretty common. Uh, for the... For the more modern ones, I have to admit I haven't played in in many modern games in arcades recently. I'm pretty sure they still accept quarters, 
And I think there's, it's usually like 50 cents to a dollar a play, I, I think. So I, I mean, I also don't think that it's completely scaled with inflation. Um, and the expectations of profit have changed. I mean, back then, the arcades were like the only place to play video games properly. I mean, the, it's the home systems were just so limited back then that, um, you know, it, relatively speaking, it was worth more. The experience was worth more than it would be nowadays. It feels... It feels analogous to uh, the the discussion. I mean, it's it's all different at the moment because as we're recording, we're still in um, <clears throat> the quarantine times, as it were. But even even outside of that, it does feel analogous to the the whole thing of cinema. You know, the the going to the theater, uh, going to a cinema versus watching a film at home. Um, the ex- it it's it is about that particular experience, and I wonder in the same kind of uh, scenario now where whether what you're really put when when you're putting those coins into uh the slot now you might just be fueling that particular game and paying for the running of that particular game whereas the arcade wants you to be i guess buying drinks and snacks and and that kind of stuff yeah yeah i i mean what what you said about movies is it's an interesting analogy because the stuff that arcades still can do that they uh that you can't get at home usually is those like full cabinet experiences where you're like totally immersed. I mean, cause the standup ones really aren't that different from playing at home. Yeah. But the ones, you know, the ones where they put, they like have you driving a car in a cabinet, for example, you know, they've been doing that even back since the seventies. Some of those machines really were complete immersive experiences. Uh, there was this one game from Exidy called Starfire in 1979, where they were fully simulating you being in a cockpit and fighting against TIE fighters. Nice. Right. I mean, this thing, I, I haven't played the original cabinet, but from what I've read, this thing is just an amazing piece of machinery. And so they were all in on that even back then. And nowadays, you know, that's still something very few people can get at home. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, 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 maybe some of it is cultural, the decline of the arcades, because, you know, movie theaters still do very well. And maybe pre quarantine, they were doing very well anyway. Uh, but, um, yeah, arcades have not been a, a big source of income for the video game industry for some time. So then, um, let us start building a list. What would be your number one pick that absolutely has to be on the list? What's number one? When preparing for this, I, you know, one of the things I went and did, I was really curious. I was going to make some claims, and I wanted to see if I could actually back them up with research a little bit, um, that the the 800 pound pound gorilla in the room was pac-man and the reason is that i was pretty convinced that of all the singular games in the golden age that was the one that had the biggest cultural impact now measuring cultural impact is is very hard to do but what i could do is i could look on google trends to see which game was searched for the most and pac-man did in fact come up number one uh numbers Two and three, I was, I only looked at the really big name ones, you know, if I, I can't imagine I missed any here, but numbers two and three were not too surprising. You had Donkey Kong and, and Mario Brothers. And those, I think, are to a large extent piggybacking on the success of the Mario games that came after the fact. Ah, Um, okay. And even though I think those are both very big classic games. So if you want a game 
that is mostly famous for its original version in the Golden Age arcades, Pac-Man stands far and above the rest. Now, that doesn't mean it should be number one on our list necessarily, um, but um, it is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And the question is, does, you know, if you ask the ar arcade aficionados, is that also their number one pick? I think many of them would say no. Mm -hmm. uh, I think many of them, in fact, many of the, the classic arcade came fans that I've spoken to don't even like the game. Sacrilege. I, I didn't originally either, to be honest. Like when I was a kid, I, I thought it was kind of boring and simple. And like, you know, this is just something you just go in there and you, you munch for a little bit and then you go like, what's the big deal? Um, but for my blog, I decided to do this thing because it's such a huge deal. I wanted to see if what happens if I really commit to this. And so I played 500 games of Pac-Man, right? And it was, I, I really grew to love the game very quickly. Like it wasn't it, like it took 400 games, you know, it took, yeah. it, it didn't take long. And I loved it more and more and more each time. Um, and it's just such a brilliantly designed game. Um, I think a lot of people, even people who have been playing arcade games forever, are quick to dismiss it. Um, some of that may have been like back in the day, arcades initially started as like a very macho male thing um they were dominated by men for a long that's not to say there were no women arcaders there were but when pac-man came along the demographics in the arcades changed dramatically that was one of the first real cross-gender hits and i i wouldn't be surprised if back in the day that created sort of this weird cultural clash where it was like oh this is so mainstream this is so <laughs> you know uncool mm -hmm. um this isn't for real gamers exactly yes and there's that added fact that pac-man is so easy to play even if you know absolutely nothing about the game right unlike say defender or asteroids that if you go into to those play those for the first time you're dead you know it's <laughs> just like there's not you're not going to get anywhere in those games but if you play pac-man for the first time you won't last long but at least you'll you'll still have a good time that first play yeah but yeah so after playing it for 500 games or so i i, I began to appreciate like not just the fact that it's a tremendously well-designed game like and that it's a lot of fun. It, it is both of those things. But Pac-Man is also what's what's it's, I, the the comparison I keep thinking of is is chess players. Mm. The great chess players do not go through tremendous chains of logic in their head to determine their moves. What they do is they look at the board and they look for configurations that they recognize and they respond to those configurations. That's why they were able to beat machines. Mm -hmm for such a long time is that machines can go through those huge chains of logic uh, and think about all the possible combinations of moves. Humans can't do that, but we recognize patterns. The great Pac-Man players, I guarantee you, they're doing exactly the same thing. The more I played, the more I began to recognize patterns of these ghosts with AIs that have been brilliantly designed to create this balance between, you know, impossibly hard and, uh, too easy and then i mean if you actually read about the creation of the game they they went through great pains to make sure that ai didn't go too far in one direction or the other so uh anyway i that's just sort of my long way of, of explaining why i'm picking the obvious pick 
that a lot of people will balk at <laughs> as my number one. And then the other argument, uh, and I'd be curious to think which one you prefer, is the Pac-Man versus Miss Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, selection. So let me ask you, which one is your favorite? I don't know enough about Ms. Pac-Man um, to. I, I, I've never, I've never played it. I don't actually know how well it traveled over here. Um, I know a little bit of the story after watching, uh, and, and I'm sure you'll remember the name of the, the Netflix series um, about video games. Uh, high score. score, yeah, which was which was lovely. Yeah, uh, they 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 talked about it uh, a, a lot there, and I mean, again, I think we're of possibly a similar age i might be uh a little bit younger than than you so i i missed the uh that age as well and and again you know not, not hanging around in a lot of arcades um and so yeah for me this this really comes a sort of retro having played it on an emulator kind of thing and if i'm honest like if there's a choice between pac-man and miss pac-man i'm i'm i'm, I'm going pac-man just because I don't. I don't know Miss Pac-Man. I don't. I don't have a. You know, <laughs> yeah. Nothing against Miss Pac-Man. I'm sure she's fine. Um, but I know there are some differences in in the gameplay and stuff. But yeah, I, it's not a world that I'm. Uh, I'm versed in. Right. So it's it's actually pretty fascinating if you get down to it. Part of what fascinates me about the Miss Pac-Man versus Pac-Man is that a casual player, even playing it five to ten times, is inclined to think this is exactly the same game. Mm-hmm. Usually, sequels will at least make some attempt to make themselves look different to the casual player. Uh, Ms. Pac-Man does no such thing. I mean, aside from the fact that it's Ms. Pac-Man <laughs> instead of Pac-Man. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the gameplay is a little bit slicker yeah. uh, so that they have they have improved things. I think the graphics are a little nicer in Ms. Pac-Man. And, of course, as we, as we all remember from Wayne's World, Ms. Pac-Man has a bow. That's <laughs> <Right. laughs> about the one thing I know about Pac-Man. <laughs> But the thing is, they actually changed something really substantial in that game uh, that only the hardcore fans are really going to appreciate. And it makes a big difference for the depth of the play. And that is they added more randomness. Ah. The fun thing about Pac-Man, or, well, this, this is where it becomes a matter of opinion. So the original Pac-Man, what you could do is you could use patterns uh, because the ghosts always followed the same paths initially. When you started the game, you could fo- if you followed your exact same path that worked for you before, you could make your way through the maze without running into the ghosts at all. And it, and uh, pa- the original Pac-Man in that way became sort of like a puzzle game in that once you've solved it, that doesn't mean you're going to get uh, the world high score. Uh, there's lots of complicated reasons why that's not the case, but you can you can be very successful at it by simply knowing which patterns to start with. And from this, I think from the standpoint of somebody playing a console game, that does that's mm-hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but from the standpoint of an arcade game, that's a disaster <laughs> uh, because that means you can have players go on there and without having a ton of experience, can go in there and carve their way through the game. Uh, and spend tons of time on the machine with one quarter. Uh, so one of the big changes in Ms. Pac-Man was to add some randomness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing so, they made the game a lot more profitable. And some I, I've heard very strong claims from some arcade aficionados that that makes it objectively better. <laughs> I acknowledge it's objectively better for the arcade owners. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not convinced that that's necessarily an objectively better model for gamers because whenever you add randomness to a game, 
you reduce the human interaction with it. Your, your success is less directly tied to the human elements and more tied to the random elements. And sometimes that's appropriate. Uh, in this case, I tend to lean more on the Pac-Man side because I feel like having that determinism in the game is part of what makes it beautiful. Mm. But that's not just, I still think Miss Pac-Man is a great game. Don't get me wrong. But um, I lean more on the Pac-Man side on that. And I, I'm not going to include Miss Pac-Man as a separate entry in my list. But uh, Pac-Man it is for me. And that's why I have a theory that um, which I which I only uh, only hit upon this morning. I was thinking about the whole sort of disappearing, you know, in, in right the the right hand side and then appearing in the left. And I started to wonder whether the Pac Man maze is a sphere. Oh, so that's that's funny. I actually made a, a graphic, not of a sphere, but I, I made sort of like this. Um, this polar coordinate system where the thing wrapped. So I, I basically distorted it. So it wrapped around mm -hmm. and, and touched at those, um, at those tunnel points. Yeah. Like you were saying, and it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, it doesn't work perfectly because Pac-Man disappears for a minute. So even if you wrap them around, yeah. he, you know, he doesn't for a yeah. move smoothly, but um, yeah, it's, it's still fun to think about. <laughs> I like little weird sort of physics-y things like that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, oh, I played uh, last year, the, the beginning of last year. Uh, in fact, no, it was the crikey, it was the beginning of this year. Um, I went to a place that's got loads of, um, what do you call them? Uh, trampolines. That's what you call them. An indoor trampoline center. Oh, yeah. And as I walked in and we, we went to the sort of the, the holding pen, um, I noticed a giant cabinet uh game cabinet that must have been 10 foot tall and it had a giant pac-man on it and i played that sucker and it was fun and i sucked at it but it was a lot of fun to play <laughs> 10 foot pac-man oh i bet that that sounds like fun i got to uh show my um show my nephews how to um how to play pac-man because they'd never seen it that's that's another thing fun thing about the game i, I think my biggest pac-man experience from my childhood is from a dentist's office oh really you know they they, they put these things everywhere yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know so it's like your associations with it are are kind of random all right well my pick then since um I would have I would have picked uh, Pac Man, so I think we're we're we're, we're working well so far. Um, <laughs> my next, so my one would be Space Invaders. I haven't got a lot to say. I just think it's it's classically a brilliant replayable game in the same way that you know I if if I had a machine here, if I had a little handheld thing, um, a little console or whatever, I would quite happily just while away some time just playing space invaders uh the british tv show taskmaster one of the tasks i think in a possibly the last series was to recreate a famous video game and um someone did it with loads of people and um they got people standing um like loads of extras standing in clumps uh so that the guy could could sort of you know shoot them off and stuff and it was you know it looked fantastic um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there's a lot of these games I wish you could just get a nice version of it on your on your iPhone. But there, so many of these re-release things, they're they're either clones or they're full of ads, and they're they're sort of you can't just get that simple pure experience straight into the game and just you know 
shooting shooting down um pixels with slightly bigger pixels um i yeah i'm a i'm a big fan yeah I, so my, my feelings about space invaders are complex unfortunately Ooh. complex feelings is good yes I, I i knew this was going to come <laughs> up uh and uh so i mean if you're looking for a list of games that um sort of combine historical impact cultural importance and all that to do i really think space invaders actually does fit naturally as that number two it was a huge absolutely huge uh sea change for the video game industry when space invaders came out it went mainstream yeah and then with pac-man it went mega mainstream <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i mean that was just a massive phenomenon uh, and so from that standpoint, like, uh, there's absolutely nothing I can say in response to that. However, uh, all I can say, <laughs> all I can say is that I hate the game. Ah, and, okay. <laughs> and, and there's absolutely nothing against the developers. You know, it for what for the time it was it was it was brilliant for what for what it was doing um, for me. The game is sort of like the first and most prototypical example of tedious video game addiction. Oh, uh, I mean, I love video games, but I also know that they can be a very destructive force in someone's life. Uh, and, you know, in my life, I'm not going to say it was like total life destroying, but it, it, it can wait. It can waste a lot of your time if you get really addicted to a game. And I think there are, I, on my on my blog, I like to talk a lot about the distinction between addiction and immersion, mm. where a, a video game can really open up your world, and you can want to play more because you want a, that world to be opened up a little bit more. And then there are games that you just feel c this compulsive need to play them over and over again, and it abs abs adds absolutely nothing to your life and just sort of drains your time. And I look at and Space Invaders always felt like that to me. It was like this assembly line of aliens just dropping down, and they were all staying in the same formation all the time. <laughs> I, I, I in my in my blog, I compared it to like Sisyphus in his boulder, <laughs> and it was just like I, I appreciate that. I think most of the people who love Space Invaders, their associations to it, a lot of it has to do with nostalgia and its place in history and how the the things that the game was doing were totally new and it was a totally new experience. So in, in that sense, if you're around for space invaders, that original time period, it probably has a very different representation to you. So this is all, this is all sort a lot of this is just sort of a personal gripe. Yeah. So, but, it, but it, as far as like classic arcade games, it's actually one of my least favorite. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that, if that means I want to use a veto on it because <laughs> you know, it's sort of like you got to tip your cap to the king, even if you don't like him very much. So yep. that's you got to pay some respects. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how uh, how it appears on the list. Um, what's uh, what's number two for you? Uh, so number two gets a lot harder, but I'm leaning towards Defender. Okay, so Defender uh, is is one of the best action games for sure during that era. Um, I think if it has any negative side, it's the bar to entry. I, I was re uh, making reference to this before, is that if you go in and try to play Defender for the first time, you're dead. You know, you're just dead. You're not going to have fun at all. <laughs> um, 
because you're going to run right into one of those aliens and you're not even going to know what you were supposed to do <laughs> to not run into it. Um, but it has it's a game with tremendous depth. And the controls, even though they take some time to learn, it's not ridiculous. Um, and it's much like Pac-Man. It has clever AI built into all the characters. They're all designed individually. Uh, the graphics have this beautiful sort of, I don't want to say minimalist, because that thing is like flashing at you all the time. But it's it's a very, it's a simple approach. And it produces this sort of overwhelming um, sense of immersion uh, on the screen, just from this, this flashing colors and the pixels flying up, like the explosions in the Defender, Defender games are some of the most satisfying <laughs> in all the classic arcade games, watching everything just sort of blow up into, in, into individual pixels and have them fly across the screen is just fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I think it ultimately comes down to the depth and the fact that, um, you know, you can build really complex strategies. There, there are websites from people who have mastered the game where they go into strategies. And those things are like, you know, I could write a book on that, <laughs> on how much uh, uh, can go into, uh, into becoming great at this game. So that's that's probably my number two. Have you ever played Defender? Are you a fan of the no, game? No, I, I, I never have. It feels like one of those... It, sorry, it, it feels like a game that's been... Or a style that's kind of been mimicked uh, a lot. And I, I've, I've seen games that I think have a very similar mechanic where you've got this sort of vertical uh, movement and, you know, you're, you're firing things out. There was uh, the company that had the... Uh, an 80s and 90s company that had an owl as its logo um and i'm trying to remember what the name is they they turned that owl logo they, they actually made a game out of it and used the same mechanic uh there's a few i think that that i've, I've come across that have got that kind of mechanic but i've never played the original hmm. okay yeah so i mean uh the yeah the side the, you mean the side scrolling yeah. uh mechanic where you've got the yeah yeah so um i was looking at the beginnings of that and what's actually what's really interesting about this, I always associated Defender with that as well. And Defender was uh, was one of the first. It was not the absolute first side-scrolling game, but it was certainly the one, the first really popular one. Uh, there was a game that came right after it that I think actually pioneered what most people think of as side-scrolling shooters nowadays, and that's the that's called Scramble. Um, it's not that well known outside of the retro gaming community, uh, but it was huge in its time. And the, so the difference is with Defender, what you had is you had the side scrolling back and forth in sort of a fixed region. And within that region, there were various aliens and they were all placed in some out and you could go back and forth to attack particular places or defend particular uh uh, people on the ground you're trying to save the people on the ground and scramble what it was it was what they call fixed uh excuse me forced scrolling where the ship was being forcefully moved forward during the game ah. and you were it, it gave the impression that you were on a mission and you uh, were continuously moving forward in that mission and it's uh it gives you obstacles as well so it's not just enemies you've also got various like complex shaped caverns that you have to make your way through um 
And so it's a lot like what would eventually become popular on consoles with platformers with like Super Mario Brothers, where you're sort of going forward in this level and the, the goal is to complete the level. Um, whereas with Defender, your goal, your goal is to, you want to get rid of all the aliens, but it's all within this fixed space. Uh, most of the big side scrolling shooters that came after this initial burst of side scrollers were more like Scramble than they were like Defender. Um, and in fact, very few, at least in the immediate aftermath of Defender, very few game makers tried to imitate it directly because the model they used was so complex that you, it was really hard to imitate. Um, and Scramble actually got way, way more imitators to fight, despite the fact that it was comparably um, successful. Yes, it's 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 a game. Although I'm not familiar with with the the gameplay of it, it is one that I've definitely heard of. And one of the things we'll have to talk about uh, if we have time at the end is uh, Ready Player One and that whole sort of um, milieu of uh, of of you know <laughs> uh, jumping into different um, different arcade games. Um, okay, so I'm going to go with 1982's Pole Position because. I have actual memories of playing this when I was a young boy. And I think I've even played it in a sit-down arcade cabin. I'm sure it was Pole Position. I know I've played it on a on some sort of console. Uh, well, you know, it would have been an actual computer. Um, uh, so back in the day, I couldn't tell you which one it was, but that was in the mid to late 80s. And the holiday camp that we used to go to, um, I would be surprised. Actually, they've updated their arcade uh machines now but for a long time they had some very old uh games in there um and and i'm sure one of them was pole position and it had the full um immersive uh you know uh cockpit type uh thing that you could sit in um and yeah i remember it being a lot of fun and quite quite the thing for its time because you know it was this was a game that's trying to mimic 3d effects um and yeah, I, I I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I I admittedly don't have a lot to say about about that pick. It's uh it's it's a solid racer. Uh, racers were big in the golden age, and uh, I think the one I looked at most recently was Turbo. Um, and uh, it's you know they're a lot of fun. I, I even played some racers in the arcade and and w- when I was a kid. And uh, uh, this sort of um sort of semi first person perspective model for those is as seems to have been the most successful um i think a lot of people might be would be familiar with uh turbo from the uh the movie wreck it ralph oh there's no there's no turbo character in any of these classic games but the it's based on this early sega game from 81 and it's similar to pole position uh in that you you know you're just taking this semi first person perspective and avoiding cars and yes lots of fun it's uh it's 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 a a simple mechanic done very well and yeah i enjoyed the uh the 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 sound i mean so much of of the arcade experiences is in the sound um and and obviously a lot of that is how the cabinets attract play you know would have attracted players at the time is to try and um get these really interesting sounding games so that you know people turn their heads and go you know i've got to find out what that is um but in the gameplay there's the sound is so much a part of the experience uh, and i remember that being 
being quite a thing that sort of ramping up of the of the gears and stuff yeah yeah and i I found that's one of the most difficult things to reproduce uh like when people who were part of the who played a lot during the golden age they say that you, you really can't reproduce the experience of some of these sounds like the big uh the voice simulations that they do in some of these games having those boom uh in the arcades over top of all this other noise there was something very special about this uh to them and uh you know you can hear the sounds at home but it's it's not the same sort of uh impression that you get from them no but you're right yeah sound is huge in the arcade games there's um i know there are uh, youtube videos that are like 10 hours of um of arcade sounds and i think i could probably work to that because there is something that's very pleasing about even though yeah i didn't spend hours upon hours in those environments it does take me back to uh quite a nice nostalgic feeling of Oh yeah, that's a that's a, that's a sound I associate with happy and having a little <laughs> bit of disposable income and yeah, it's good times and yeah. fun. Yeah, just my mindless fun. Yeah, my, exactly. Um, so what's next on your list? Okay, um, so I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to say Mario Brothers. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, so the classic pick and the one that's more associated with the Golden Age is Donkey Kong, and that's a great game too. Um, my biggest beef with Donkey Kong, I feel like we have to talk about Donkey Kong because that's like as close to the next biggest elephant in the room mm-hmm. as we can get outside of Space Invaders and Pac-Man. Um, and it was great. Like, it, it is a great game. I still love it. Uh, my kids love it. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's brilliantly designed. I feel like for those early Donkey Kong games, including Donkey Kong Jr., they were still kind of figuring out the platforming mechanics. And there's some things about it that are kind of annoying, like how they, you know, you you tend to stick at the top of ladders. Mm -hmm. The jump detection isn't that great. You know, the hit detection is a little weird in places. And it, it sort of feels like, you know, things could be a little smoother. I feel like they mostly got that worked out by the time of Mario Brothers. And that made a big difference. Um, and I feel like Mario Brothers is sort of the the perfect pure platformer for the arcade format. Mm. When you get to the home systems, it's a whole different game, right? Because the you know Super Mario Brothers they had versions of that in the arcades, but that is perfectly designed for home systems because it's a long play experience. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't want uh, people to play an entire eight levels of Super Mario Brothers on one quarter. Yeah. Um, but for the arcade experience, what Mario Brothers does is it puts, it, it contains everything into, you know, fixed stages, just like they had in most arcade games of that time. And it takes, it, it has you do things that are about maximally fun for, for, you know, jumping on platforms, climbing ladders, and, uh, you know, jumping on top of things. And it's just this beautiful experience for both one and two players. Nice. So nice. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I it's weird. So I've, I've never played a, a Mario game in an arcade. Um, I was a very, very late comer to, to the whole world of Mario. Um, I grew up as a Sonic boy and I loved me some Sonic. I was, I was, I was deep in, deep in Sonic as it were. Um, there are some fandoms around, so I should I should be careful when I say I'm deep in Sonic because that that yes um it yeah so th- that that was always my world more than more than Mario but y- like you said earlier with um 
with Space Invaders, you've got to respect the king. You know what I mean? You, you've this. This is the the not the proto platformer, but it is the in some ways for many of us the archetypical one. And you know, without Mario Brothers, God, there's there's so much that we don't have. Um, right. I love the story in um, the Masters of Doom book. Uh, about id software uh how i really enjoyed it as a as a guy who who's um made his bones for a, for a long time as a as a developer i really enjoyed the story of how i think john carmack uh pulled an all-nighter and basically recreated the side-scrolling thing that they had in mario that was previously impossible to do on a pc because of the way memory worked and stuff and he 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 figured it out and i just the the coder in me loves that story of uh, and loves that moment of being able to figure out like oh if i do this and, and remove these pixels or, or, or track this position here I could, and all that kind of stuff um i just yeah i i really and it kind of made me appreciate mario more uh even though you know um i've never really Never really, but you know, I've played Mario Kart and enjoy that, and I have Mario Kart on my Switch. Um, but I don't think I've ever, to my memory, actually played any of the Super Marios. That is amazing, to, <laughs> me, to be honest. Like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I mean, Mario has become a so Nintendo's used him for yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. So, like, as far as recognizable video game characters, he may be he may be well over Pac Man at this point. I'm not sure, um, but that that's part of the problem too. Is like these original games. Um, lots of people still love them, but people associate Mario with so many other things at the same time that you know they may not. Maybe that many people don't. I, I take it for granted. I thought everybody <laughs> do these original Mario games, and you should absolutely try them out at some point, especially the uh, the side like the traditional side scrollers, the the ones they still make, um, like uh, the new Super Mario Brothers, they call them. Uh, those are very similar and absolutely uh, worth trying. I think you get most of the same experience there that you would in these original, like Super Mario Brothers from Nintendo. Um, and it's even more fun because it's multiple players. So you, you can kill each other. Like you can knock each other off of platforms and um, you just arrange it so somebody gets killed by a monster if if you want to. <laughs> or you can work cooperatively to beat it. I don't know. I, I, I think that stuff is, is, is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, for Mario, it was like it was part of our language back when I was a kid. You know, I think by by the time I got into forming real opinions about consoles and 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 the and the ips within them i think i'd already built up a bit of tribalism uh around sega and as i got older and as i got into my teenage years that tribalism only solidified only calcified more <laughs> um, and so when it came to the dreamcast my mate uh, my, a friend of mine got into this whole thing of just he uh as a young lad with his pocket money he just picked up every console that he could uh, every Sega console. So uh, to my memory, he had every single one. And um, we were often uh, at his house uh, where we would play the Saturn or whatever, um, or the Sega CD or the Sega 32. Mm -hmm. And then when the 
Dreamcast came out, like we, yeah, we both, we both had a lovely time. And of course it was, you know, it was Sonic and, uh, and that's what we were playing. Um, and I still play Sonic on my, on my Nintendo now. And, and, you know, it took a long time for me to, to actually appreciate what a phenomenal games company Nintendo is um for for not just the games they produce the ip but but you know the consoles and, and, and the hardware as well yeah i i my so my my response to the console so i, I remember the nintendo sega um wars i guess you want, to, you want to call it back when i was a kid and um i was always a nintendo guy but i just kind of took it for granted it wasn't like oh sega's the enemy or anything like that it was just like uh yeah, Nintendo, and you know that's that's just what I'm doing, and you know I played some of the Sega games, and there are lots of fun, but it's it's sort of it's sort of like that argument between that they used we used to have between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. It's like, yep, I was going to say Oasis and Blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 fans of the Beach Boys were like, oh yeah, this is definitely a big like competition. We're definitely fans of the Beatles were like, yeah, we know we're better, so we don't even care that it's, much. It's, the, um, it's like you know, line from from. Um uh mad men you know i i think about you every day don don and then don says oh, that's funny i don't think about you at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i'm of course i'm only uh only half serious uh but um yeah it, say i i've i've gotten a lot of appreciation for sega uh through studying these early uh arcade games they were one of the big companies and i would say they had more you know aside from a few big entries from nintendo Sega had a much bigger footprint on the uh, golden age of arcade games, and they had a much wider range of entries. Tur- Turbo was one of those that I, I already mentioned. Um, and it's it's weird. I mean, in in the sort of home console market, I think in Europe, um, the split was much more well i don't know if it was more equal but it, it was a little bit more uh, the sega i think had a more of a foothold um certainly in in the home console market in europe than than nintendo did but like you said like with our um arcades sega really they they dominated for for quite a while didn't they yeah yeah it was uh sega was especially their work with gremlin you know they mm-hmm. did uh oh yeah frogger um was was a sega product but yeah i, I mean a lot of these early arcade game companies you know you gain a new appreciation for them from studying this early age because these were just people tinkerers in their basement yeah you know it, it well not not literal basements but you know it, it was it was individual people coming up with great ideas and just sort of unleashing them on the world uh nowadays not not to downplay modern game developers i mean uh, many brilliant people do this but these are the a lot of the biggest games are huge teams of people just like hollywood productions and stuff uh and the big games back then were all mostly individuals uh, coming up with creative ideas. They they would collaborate sometimes with a few people, um, and I'm sure marketing and all that stuff had different people involved. But um, yeah, the game ideas themselves were mostly an individual person, and it was uh, it was sort of art in its purest form in that way. Um, uh, that's that's part of the reason I'm so fascinated with the uh, indie community nowadays. Is you still have a lot of that going on, uh, individuals or sm- small teams of individuals uh, making these really clever and creative games. Um, sometimes in a retro gaming style, sometimes in a modern style. Lovely. Um, so for my next for my pick, I'm going to go with Paperboy. Oh, that's fun. Uh, 
Yeah, um, I think this is a game that I actually, I'm trying to remember where I was. It was some sort of holiday, again, because that's where, where we, where we, uh, where arcades happened for me was in holiday parks. Um, and Paperboy, I, I pretty sure I do remember playing, uh, a little bit of it. But in terms of, you know, when you, when you're looking through a list and you're trying to, I'm trying to find things that I really identify with, uh, the, uh, the, the sort of nice simple mechanic of Paperboy and the all, almost isometric, um, approach, the sort of top down, uh, approach of, of how the character moves, uh, that, that's something that, that got, um, that developed, uh, a little bit better. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, uh, it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah. No, no arguments there. I played Paperboy on the Nintendo when I was a kid. Uh, and that, so that was part of my childhood and, oh, there's, you know, the feeling of breaking, uh, someone's window or, um, you know, it, just knocking something over in their yard at, at the time that was the pinnacle of video game destruction <laughs> well before grand theft auto came out, and, you know, and you're knocking out prostitutes and all that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was it, back then it was pretty harmless. Right. And that, that was, it, it was a brilliant combination of what they were doing with video games at that time. Plus this catharsis that you get from just running stuff over. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have no bicker with <laughs> with Paperboy. Uh, that's good to know. So what is number four for you? All right, number four. You know, I'm kind of doing this on the fly. I, I came up with a list of games, and um, I'm just sort of looking at them to get which one feels right to yeah. me. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Galaga. Ah. And we talked about Space Invaders, and it's definitely a direct uh, descendant of that line um the year after space invaders was galaxian i'm a big fan of galaxian too and I, they're both i it, it's almost hard to pick between those two galaxian uh was a little bit primitive and some of its the 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 graphics and sound were a little bit old school and it was kind of slow uh for an action game but on the other hand it had this this great thing where the you know you could dodge between the bullets. It was really well designed um, and had this beautiful flow to it. Galaga is a different beast. It's much slicker. Uh, they've they've cleaned up the graphics and it plays more smoothly. So I think it is the slightly superior game. And this is this is one you'll hear a lot from classic arcade fans, people who were really into this back in the day. Say so they they dumped a lot of quarters mm. into Galaga, and you can sort of understand. You can see the beginnings of this uh, progressive and uh, pattern based level design that would become really popular in the consoles with games like Super Mario Brothers. They this stuff started really started with shooters and fixed shooters specifically. Um, where they would say, oh, you, so, so in the first level, you can expect uh, these aliens to come down at this particular time at this particular place. So from playing it the first time, that experience would allow you to know when to expect these particular things. With games like um, Pac-Man, that kind of linear learning uh, is only possible through you know, studying these complex patterns. Uh, with with Galaga, it was just like, oh, I do this, then I do this, then I do that. And that ended up being uh, basically the model that most famous platformers now follow. You know, you if, if you're playing Mega Man or Sonic or whatever it might be, you know, you play it once, you run into this 
obstacle, you know the next time you play that obstacle is there. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll get around it, but um, at least you know, and so you're more likely to succeed the next time around. And Galaga had some of that. A lot of the early arcade games did not. They treated a, a lot of early arcade game developers made the mistake of treating video games like slot machines, mm. uh, and they 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 just wanted to give gamers like a randomly different experience every time. Uh, and so there was very, there was limited possibility for learning. Uh, and those games tended not to do very well. Um, I think Exidy in particular is, was one of these early arcade game developers that was, that was kind of big, but ended up going bankrupt. And I think part of the problem they had with a lot of their games is they made them too random and too hard. Um, and a lot of the best games give you a lot of opportunity for improvement. Galaga was definitely among them. Yeah. You, you really want to feel like, I think the the best games can really make you can guide you through a process and and make you feel like you're getting you're actually getting good at the game or you've just done something cool rather than constantly punishing you. Um, yeah, I'm playing the remaster of I say playing I've put it down in frustration at the moment. I'm playing the remaster of uh, Crash Bandicoot on the uh, on the Nintendo Switch and there is one level that is it's just driving me insane, Nick. It's it's just <laughs> it's unbeatable and um I, I read online people saying, yeah, like the developers have copped to it. They've said it's, it's harder. We've made it harder. Right? Yeah. But it's supposed to be fun. This isn't fun anymore. <laughs> I'm not having fun. Oh yeah. I, I have to admit like, uh, and my, my wife makes fun of me for this too. It's like, I get so angry with games sometimes. She's like, how can you possibly be having a good time yeah. when you're slamming your controller into the ground? I, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know. I'm not even an angry person. I very rarely get angry. Yeah. But video games make me furious. Yeah. I think it's correlated with how much I'm enjoying them, to be honest. There's, yeah, there's an intensity of experience, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, that is that is a fine pick. Um, okay, I'm going to go with mm, Asteroids. Oh, Asteroids. It, yeah, good choice. Keep it, yep, keep it simple. Um my piano teacher uh, had an Atari for a very, very long time. Um, pretty, he used to do a lot of uh, music uh, work on it, um, from, from what I remember. And um, and and I remember uh, Ast- asteroids being uh, being a thing on the Atari. And yeah, it's just it, it's not as simple uh, a mechanic as as obviously as um, as a Pac Man or a, or a Space Invader, but it is fun and satisfying and yeah i think it, it it goes down the list for me um but i think it still deserves a mention still deserves a place i think because it just feels it just it's asteroids you see it straight away it's it, it is the definition of something that is iconic i think yeah it, there's asteroids has this sort of um seems to have this geek appeal that other games for some reason, don't have. I, I, th- I mean, I have some idea why that might be. I did. I did a um, a blog entry where I looked at the physics of asteroids, uh, and they make more of an effort in that game than most. Vid- well, nowadays there are a lot of video games that try to have completely realistic physics all the time, uh, but back in those days, uh, very few games made much of an effort. Uh, but asteroids did, and I think there's a sort of um 
honesty to the game, genuineness to the game that comes out of that fact that you're actually, you know, you're accelerating and decelerating. You're not going straight from speed zero to speed 100. You have to account for these inertial effects. And that's, that's huge. Uh, that, that, that gives it a, a realism, but it also gives it a difficulty you wouldn't have with instantaneous controls. Most games back then did have instantaneously responding controls or the acceleration or deceleration was very tiny. There actually is in the Mario games, there actually is acceleration and deceleration, but it's very small. Uh, like if you're an, an excellent player, then you, you, you're going to think more about accounting for that effect. But I think novice players mostly don't notice it. Um, but, um, yeah, in asteroids, it's, it's definitely a huge effect. And, you know, back, back then when they couldn't do that much with video games, I think that added level of depth was huge. And that's probably part of what it made it so popular. Um, and I see it referenced a lot. Was it a vector game? Yes, that was a vector game. I, I, I think, is that the first one we've mentioned that's a vector game? I think, I think, I think it, it is. Yeah, I think it probably is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Vec the vector, vector graphics, it's, it's an amazing part of video game history because they have all but died. Uh, and at the time that Asteroids came out, it wasn't clear if that was the future of video games or not. Um, there was one company in particular, Cinematronics, that uh, went really heavy into the vector thing. Uh, they ended up going out of business, but in vector and there were, but there were some fantastic vector games from that period. Um, for I guess so, I try to give this sort of um, short explanation for the difference between the two. So, just about all of the displays that we have nowadays are what are called raster displays, where you're basically looking at everything in terms of pixels. So, even when you play a vector game on a a modern computer display uh you're not playing a true you're not playing on a vector display you're not playing it as a vector game you're playing a reproduction of what the vector game might have looked like these original vector monitors what they were actually doing rather than drawing pixels they were draw they were um using these laser things to blast points and lines onto the screen so the they didn't have a resolution in the same sense that a raster display has a resolution. It's not little pixels, it's these points and lines. And I mean, those, those points and lines had a thickness to them. So in effect, there was a kind of resolution to the game. But, uh, you know, theoretically speaking, there, it was just, you know, infinitely thin points and lines that were being connected. And so a, a discrete object in a vector game like Asteroids is just a set of those connected uh, points. It's it's really sort of a, an instruction to start at this point, draw this line, and then turn right, draw this line, and then you know the the, the three connect. Yep. Uh, in the same way that that you you know we the the idea of vector is still something that we that we use today. But yeah, the 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 whole I didn't know that about the 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 displays actually being specific hardware that that was just for. Um, for that type of graphics, I, I thought it was just a, a way to um, to make graphics in, uh, instructions sort of easier because you didn't have to save each individual pixel. Uh, I, I wasn't aware that the actual hardware was um, was tuned um, to that. That's really interesting. Yeah, the uh, that's what what you're what you're describing is the the, the internal uh, vector approach, like with uh, 
PDF documents in SVG format. That in that case, it is. It's just the internal instructions are represented as as a vector format. But yeah, back in the day, this wasn't just the internal instructions. It was the hardware was literally drawing it that way. That's really cool. And this is another thing about vector games. Um, most of the raster games that we play nowadays, so if you're playing Donkey Kong or Galaga or whatever, it'll look pretty similar to what it looked like on the original display. The vector games will not. And that's that's something that a lot of people, if you, especially if you open up an emulator and play like Asteroids for the first time, the thing you're seeing is not that good of a representation of what you would have seen on the vector. And they were actually pretty uh, spectacular. Um, these beams would leave residuals that could uh, that would slowly die away over a period of time, and it would have this really flashy effect that is just really hard to produce on a raster monitor. Ooh, lovely. Um, okay, so number five then, sir. What have you got? All right, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Robotron 2084. Okay. So does that? Are you familiar with that game? Only by name, not by any other means right so yeah this is not one i knew much about before my uh my recent um diving into arcade history uh so it's by the same people who did defender uh and what it does is instead of a spaceship you've got a person in a room and they can shoot in eight different directions and there are aliens just basically swarming around them it's a pretty simple setup, right? And you just got to destroy all those aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it's simple in setup. In the design, of course, they've got all this these complex mechanics going on behind it. So there's all sorts of strategy. But as far as pure action games, it may be the single best pure action game in the golden age of arcades because it's just constant blowing things up, <laughs> right? It, it's like this, this sort of maximalist uh experience that even defender which i said is a great pure action game uh this is even better as like i'm not saying it's a better game overall but for that kind of feeling that feeling of just going in there and just blowing things up and having depth you know this is still a, a deep game with with strategies and um you know and, and it also uh, the best players have tremendous game reflexes. Like this thing, the levels are over before you can snap your fingers. I mean, this thing is really quick. Um, but and I, and it was also one of the games that pioneered this uh, double joystick control. Uh, nowadays, we ha- we actually do have these double joysticks on our game pads, like the. Uh, uh, but um, back then the uh, the main use of the double joystick and i don't think this is done very much in modern games uh anymore but one of them would move you around on the 2d screen and the other one would fire in the direction that you you moved it um and nowadays because we play so many 3d games it's like uh movement and then direction that you're looking is the way you use the joysticks back then it was movement and firing and that was uh, a big innovation at the time because in in the earlier games, they they would have just the one for movement, and then you would have to like stop your player, point in that direction, and then push the fire button. And that made that little lag uh, made a big difference for how much how quickly the person could get off their firing. And with this thing, you're just going in there and you're shooting in every which direction. You can start some of these levels. You're literally surrounded on all sides by enemies, 
And you might want to start that level by just firing in all eight directions at once and knocking them out in a split second. And that, it's just, it's so much mm-hmm. fun. Oh, nice. That's, uh, yeah, I can, I can see the sort of, um, I, I don't know. I think, I think the, the, the young boy in me would, would probably just go in there and just be like, and just, you know, uh, try and produce a hail of bullets and then just get, get killed. Um, quite easily yep <laughs> oh yeah you you, you die very quickly too in this <laughs> game so it, the experience doesn't last that long but it's it's worth it for even just you know <laughs> 30 seconds of glory so how is your 2021 going um I'm recording this from the past, from from a different year. Uh, uh, it is New Year's Eve uh, as I'm recording this. Um, don't worry, I'm about to go and have a drink. But uh, I, yeah, like w- w- let let me know. Let's have some dispatches from the future. Uh, you can tweet list envy pod and let me know how your 2021 is uh, is working so far. I hope it's because um, everyone obviously has has all agreed that uh, it's all going to be fine. Um, so I'm going to assume that that is the case. Um, so I've got a little favour to ask you. I am listing a thing over on Product Hunt, which is, I don't know, maybe 5 to 10% relevant to your interests. But um, if you wouldn't mind taking a look, and perhaps if you felt like it was something that you might like to recommend to other people, then um, that would be very helpful. Uh, you can either, I think you should, either be able to search for Radio Burrito, which I'll explain in a minute, uh, or Podcast My Startup on uh, Product Hunt. There is also a link in the show notes. Uh, if you wouldn't mind um, going there and just taking a look, and if you feel like there's a button that you want to click uh, that might make other people want to find out more, then that would be... Um, that would be very much appreciated. So Radio Burrito is the studio uh, that makes this podcast. It's my little podcast uh, studio. And as part of what I want to do in 2021 is is make more podcasts. And uh, part of that means being able to uh, find more podcasts to make and uh, find people to work with. And so that's what that is all about. Um, it is it is my plan to uh, help people tell stories um, based on their startup companies. So whether that's a tech startup or or something else, uh, using a podcast to uh, talk about that uh, journey because there's so much that happens in a startup. Anyway, I I don't want to sell you on the thing. I just wanted to ask if you've got uh, a couple of minutes and you wouldn't mind going and checking it out. I think uh, we are running into possibly the last uh, few hours of it being relevant. It launched yesterday. uh, if, if you're listening to this on the day of release, but I would absolutely love you to go and check it out. Like I said, link is in the show notes, or you can go to producthunt.com and search for Radio Burrito. And uh, yes, so there is that. Now, uh, thank you to uh, Nick for joining me on this first episode of 2021. As you can tell, it was uh, a lovely, I mean, it's a, it's a classic um List envy episode. You know we are, we are back on our game here. Uh, it, this is exactly the kind of stuff. It's it's joyous. It's it's uh, exploratory. Uh, I'm learning some stuff. Uh, hopefully you are uh, too and and enjoying it. And yeah, I'm I'm having a blast and and so looking forward to uh, to bring more episodes to you. Um, so next week we've got quite a different turn. But my word, this was I, I finished this episode and I was just. I don't know, all the way through it, I was so charged up and fired up and excited and uh, and, and just kind of wide-eyed with, with 
with a little bit of um, a little bit of wonder, and I absolutely loved it. It's top five moments where people took over things together or took things over together. It's sort of top five moments of anarchy uh, and anarchism. And if you don't know much about anarchy, and I only know you know maybe a percentage uh, point at best about anarchy, this is wonderful. Um, it is it is so uplifting i think and and really demonstrates what is possible uh with without violence without um you know it's just about taking a stand about things and and saying no this this will not pass uh so if you are not already a subscriber to the podcast list envypod.com will take care of all of that for you you've got all the links there uh, so you can subscribe in apple podcasts spotify you can ask your smart speaker to play the latest uh, episode of the list envy podcast and uh, and and it will do that for you. So uh, listenvypod.com. Uh, you can also uh, slash listen, uh, and, and there's a, a full sort of directory there of uh, of places where you can listen to the show if you are not uh, normally a podcast listener. But my thanks again to to Nick. Um, do check out the Retro Game Deconstruction Zone. A link is in the show notes. Uh, if you are at all, even the slightest bit interested in video games and old video games and how they used to work and the mechanics that went into them, um, then this is this is absolutely up your street. And it's it's written from a guy who's who's not just oh I like this thing. It's cool. Like he's he's got a real interest. He and he's he's got a, an engineer's mindset. You know, this guy works at NASA. Um, you know he he knows of what he speaks so uh, do do go check it out and uh so for now we will return to the rest of the episode and we will construct our final list of golden age arcade games i feel like we've got a solid list here um i mean you we we've mentioned donkey kong that was uh, i had mario on my list and i had donkey kong on my on my list um but i think we've we've made good mention of those so i think at this point it uh remains for us to do the difficult work of building our combined top 5 now i have a provisional top 5 here and there's there's one of these that we're going to have to fight about i think um so let's see <laughs> let's see how we go uh so well at least we agree on the number one yeah right? i think so i think uh, we do that's decided uh so from number yeah. five we've got uh galaga or, or uh, galaga i've never heard it pronounced galaga um galaga uh number five number four i've gone with asteroids uh because i think we we need something for the for the vector uh the vector posse now number three is where i think we've got a fight because i think it's between defender and space invaders and uh i you know i mm, i've got opinions <laughs> so number two mario and then number one pac-man okay so we're okay on one and two and it's three we gotta fight over yeah yeah okay well um i'll i'll take the uh uh i'll take the hammer and sickle what are you gonna fight with uh the trident and the net <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, I don't think i understand what that means <laughs> okay now um I mean, can we can we boot off? It, it, can we take them both and boot off uh, one of the other ones? I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. I I just wondered, are they too similar? I see. Uh, no, I, I mean, if anything, I think uh, Space Invaders and and Galaga are more similar. Ooh, but, uh, but you've got a you've got a yeah. side scroller versus a a sort of vertical scroller. Mm. I you know what you are you are the you are the scholar here. Um, I I feel like I want to put Galaga in there because it feels like 
uh, it's a, a different style of game. You know, each one of these I think represents uh, a very different style, which I think is great. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think we we agree so much on on Pac Man and 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 Mario Brothers that I am I am a fr- I am uh, willing to sacrifice Space Invaders for for Defender. Um, in which case, then that leaves us with Galaga, Asteroids, Defender. Mario Brothers, and then Pac-Man at number one. Um, Nick Bond, do you consent to this list? I do. I consent to this list. I now wonder what else is. Is there anything that you've got that you um, that we haven't mentioned that you want to make mention of? Uh, yeah, I'm looking through my list. Some of the ones that I didn't mention, you actually put on your list, so that that worked out pretty well. Um, so the the predecessor to Robotron was uh berserk and oh yeah 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 yeah. that didn't quite make my list but i like it and i think it's different enough from robotron that it would not have been redundant if i had put it on the list sure uh that was great because it had this really clever ai uh where you're fighting against these robots in robotron you're basically just blasting everything in sight <laughs> uh berserk is slower paced and gives you the opportunity to have the robots destroy each other Ooh. Yes. So the AI is dumb, <laughs> but it's dumb in a really fun yeah. way where you can you can set up the robots to to shoot at each other or you can make them follow you into walls. <laughs> okay. And there's this cleverness to the dumbness of the AI <laughs> that just makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. So I definitely want to mention Berserk. And the other one I had on here, if for aesthetics, uh, if nothing else for its aesthetics, is Qbert. Oh, yeah. Uh it's just such a bizarre game. It's like a trip, but it's brilliant in the way that uh, this just weird thing. What is this thing? You know, that's just hopping all over the place. But it's it's brilliant in the sound effects that go along with it. Uh, I love the feel of playing Qbert. It, it just missed my list. Um, and the, you know, I, I love I love the games from this period, and I, I probably could go on. But those were the really big ones uh, that I still had that I was considering. So you run the retro game deconstruction zone. Um, tell us, tell us about that. So uh, that was kind of it was not something I planned out ahead of time. It was just I was I was going through. I I just it just sort of hit me one day. I I want to study video game history and I want to play through some of these games and see how gaming came to be. And it just started as me playing through some of the classic games and just seeing how much I liked them. And the more I played, the more I wanted to say. Uh, and the more I wanted to say, the more I wanted to code. <laughs> and actually, like when, whenever I thought of something, I'm like, okay, why don't I just take this apart and find out or try this? And so um, what it ended up being is basically I pick apart the mechanics, uh, study the connections between various games through time. And in some cases, most recently with uh, Centipede, which we should have mentioned, by the way, I should have mentioned Centipede as an excellent arcade game from that era. Um, I've actually been running simulations of games of Centipede uh, and testing what happens if I change little parameters in the games and seeing um, seeing how the outcome changes, just like I do in my real job. I'm a, um, I, I work at NASA for my real job. I'm a data analyst slash astrophysicist. So I, took, I tried to take those skills that I learned from there and apply them here and see, you know, see what came out. It's, it's really fun to see what can come out of these, uh, 
uh, simple rules that they put into classic arcade games. So how are you? How are you doing that? What are you? Are you editing ROMs? What is the like? What's the mechanics there? No, there's no ROM hacking involved, and I don't do. Um, people ask me a lot about disassemblies, where basically they'll take the original ROM and they'll turn it into machine language. That's uh, um, respect to people who do that. That's a tremendously tedious process that I, uh, at the moment, have no interest in getting into. Maybe someday. Um, but no, what I do is I, I just, I play the game under various circumstances, just set the conditions and just see what happens, try to set it up. You know, emulators do give you some flexibility. You've got things like save states. Uh, some people create simple hacks that are cheats. So if I wanted to test the, um, the AI in a game, I could turn on invincibility and just see how the, uh, the game responded under various circumstances. So you can do tests like that. But no, I don't actually go into the game itself. Most of the coding I do is for my own tools and the the analysis, the dissection, and then creating um, animated images, mm-hmm. which I, I do quite a lot of on my my Twitter feed, uh, which I would also point people to because I'm, I'm quite active on that. It's mm-hmm. You can find me as Retro Analyst. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so uh, apart from Twitter, where else can uh, can people find, uh, find what you're doing? Uh, so the blog is just on Blogger. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have an Instagram account. I don't use it as much as I do, uh, Twitter, but, uh, that's another place you can find me. Fantastic. Uh, and of course, uh, links will be, uh, links are in the show notes. Um, Nick, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on List Envy. Yes. Thank you, Mark. I- I've had lots of fun. Mm-hmm.